Welcome back to the Strong Calm Podcast. I'm excited about this episode, been looking forward to it ever since our first conversation. If it's your first time, just as a reminder and a preamble, the Strong Calm Podcast, it's all about the calm, C-O-M, that root word that means together or in common. Use that word as a springboard to discuss communication with ourselves and with others community building, how we connect with each other online or offline, and how when we put those two things together, communication and community, in a particular way, it builds a stronger company, whether that's the company that you're building like a business or the company that you keep. And today, it's a strong, calm conversation for sure, because today we have Amy Pekacic. She's the founder of Alpstra training solutions and she had a transition between uh, from from being a school teacher for almost 10 years into corporate America and has transformed into a leadership uh, coach of sorts a speaker a trainer and now assists um, all kinds of folks in those realms in terms of sales sales training leadership development and today I'm really excited to talk to her about all these things because I'm passionate about all these things myself and uh, I'm sure she's gonna have some great insights for you so Amy welcome to the show thanks Aaron glad to be here thanks for having me absolutely so um, you know I introduced you I read a little bit of your bio on your website, but uh, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself as well. So how would you introduce yourself, Amy? You know, it's, it's funny that you asked or you mentioned me being a school teacher in the beginning because I was just telling my husband last night that um, even when I was a little girl, I played teacher like I pretended to be a teacher. I'd make my friends or uh, if I didn't have friends in my room at the time, I'd put my stuffed animals and line them up. Or whoever would listen, I would put them in my bedroom, sit them down like they're in school. And I stood at my chalkboard, which was the back of my door, and I taught them. So I absolutely believe I was meant to do what I do now. And I did start off as a school teacher. Most of my career, I taught um, seventh or eighth grade math. And one day I decided that it was time to start teaching adults. And so I moved into the corporate learning space. Um, did corporate training for a number of years for a, a, a software company, worked for McGraw-Hill Education, their higher education division, and did um, sales and training and was a leader in sales and implementation. And so from there, it kind of jump-started this side gig, if you will, um, where I started having companies or teams ask me to come in and train uh, their people right? So they're employees. And this side gig grew so much that it became a full-time job in and of itself. And so here I am now with Opstra Leadership Training and kind of living my dream. I love it. Beautiful. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, you know, it's funny, those things. Like, uh, I think Steve Jobs said, uh, you know, you can always connect the dots looking back you know, from where you are, it's a Steve Jobs quote. And uh, I think about that too. Um, When I first got into kind of uh, marketing and really interested in how people connect online and networking, and like I'm passionate about those things. And I I realized like video games kind of got me into like presenting yourself in a certain type of way, you know, like, like online you have, you know, even in video games, it it was prior to social media, but online forums, like you had to, you know, have a signature, you had a name, you had an identity of sorts. And, uh, you know, it's so interesting to see those things, you know, in retro back. So when, uh, one thing I'm curious about, because, um, I think your story inspires me as someone who is a aspiring coach to go full time into their own deal one day when the time is right. I'm not like giving uh, my notice to my employer right now because I love what I do. But at the same time, you know, I've got goals, right? So I'm curious to hear and especially for those listening. Uh, what you'd say about that transition from school teacher to entrepreneur. I mean, you know, school teaching is definitely, I've heard, I've heard bad things about, you know, the, the education system of, of course, but at the same time, it's pretty secure and safe, I would say. And, uh, 
ultimately, I, I'm sure, rewarding. And then, you know, you, you, were, uh, you made the leap eventually. So I'm just curious about how that leap happened and what leap you had to make internally to, to really fly the way that you're flying now. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that the dots are connected backwards. It was not a quick process by any means. We're talking about over a decade transition. Um, the, The transition immediately into corporate America was pretty exciting for me. I mean, I loved my students and I loved teaching, but I'm such a highly driven person that it was frustrating at times when I taught the students. And again, I loved my students. And I still love those young people, but trying to get 32 people in a room to learn and be excited and passionate about learning the way you are and then being disappointed day after day after day when, you know, they're kids and they would rather be outside playing basketball or football or or whatever the case may be. And so for my own intrinsic happiness, I decided to take the leap into teaching adults and, uh, you know, it is interesting because had I not been a teacher, I wouldn't be comfortable speaking in front of people. Another funny story is when I was in college, I took a public speaking class. And in the final, we had to give a, a speech in front of the entire class, which I mean, let's face it, wasn't a ton of people. But I had my one and only little panic attack of my life before giving before I had to give that that speech, that final speech. And now I do it for a living. So it was a gradual transition. So again, if I hadn't been a teacher, I wouldn't be comfortable speaking in front of people. And then I think because I do just truly love people, when I taught, I kept getting this feedback that I taught in a way that made it click for people and that I made it interesting and engaging and things like that. And then I found out that I love when I'm able to see true growth or progress or cultures change or families change or teams improve, you know, and and this is a part of, this is something that happens when you train people. And so as I found my passion for training adults, um, another dot was connected. So uh, I was director of learning and education for a software company. McGraw-Hill came along and they recruited me and they recruited me to be, I started off as a salesperson. And that was one of those dots that had to be connected. What's interesting is when I was a school teacher, I was at a conference and met some of those book book peddlers or whatever. And I thought that would be a really cool job, you know? And, uh, and it was so interesting that they recruited me and I was all on board because I had taught from McGraw-Hill books myself. Uh, so I taught for a while, was quickly promoted into a district leadership position and helped start what was called the Implementation Manager Program and uh, became the one of the very first implementation managers there at McGraw-Hill, uh, moved on to being a learning specialist and had a team of sales and implementation professionals that I worked with. And what was really cool was uh, the, the team, one of the team that I took over as implementation manager, they had been in dead last place in implementation the year that I took them over or the year before I took them over. And within six months, we were in first place and we stayed in first place the whole time I worked with that team. So that's the the drive in me, the goal oriented drive in me. That was part of the dot. So the sales part the leading teams part. And then I went to work for a a Berkshire Hathaway company where I was in charge of their sales training. So the entire company, it's a global company and I was in charge of their sales training. Um, That's when I was doing a lot of work on the side. Uh, Right now I work also with a a local engineering firm. Their, their, their corporate office is local to you in East Texas, uh, but they have offices all over the South and um, kind of work with them as an advisor for for learning and development and then work, work with a number of other companies. So it was definitely a path and there were a lot of dots there. And, when, and you're, get, you're, you're exactly right. When you look back, it's 2020 and you can see how, hey, you know, at that first software company having to learn to edit video and audio, how that's come in today and how I've been able to do things like that. Or or again, like the the being a teacher and speaking in front of people, learning good sales methodologies and and things like that that I can teach other organizations. So it's just all wrapped up in a nice pretty bow. My 
background. And I'll tell you one more interesting thing, Erin, and that is that my mother retired from the school board and my father retired as a sales manager. So I'm kind of like the perfect combination <laughs> between my mom and my dad. <laughs> right. Isn't that how it goes sometimes? Like it's, uh, it's so funny, uh, as I grow and learn and like see my parents, I'm like, wow, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, to see like, oh, wow. I am my dad. I am my mom. It's just how it goes. But uh, in, in so many different ways. Um, so tell me about like, I, I love the kind of dot thing. So I, I just kind of want to stick here for a second with. Um, so how and I'm kind of segueing into this other subject. I wanted to speak with you about about identity, because I'm thinking about that quite a bit right now. And uh, in the newsletter that I'm preparing, I'll be sharing some insights and some learnings and some other perspectives from folks about this topic of identity. It's core to everyone. And, um, you know, your identity as a school teacher evolved into this identity as a, uh, sales leader, which, I mean, that's a, that's a transition in itself, but then an evolution again into entrepreneur. And so in those moments of where, you know, you're, you're at the precipice, you're, you're at the line of like, okay, I'm going to, or I'm going to walk through this new door. And when I walk through this new door, I have a new title and not, and it's like, it's like before you get the title internally, you have identified yourself as this, this is the, this is me, you know, I'm reintroducing myself to myself as this whole nother being this new Amy. So I'm curious to know, like, at that precipice, what would you say you, you know, your thoughts were? And and you mentioned drive a couple times, like that's where your drive, you know, existed. Uh, what do you think that is? What what is that that calls you forward into a new version of yourself? Is it is it all like I'm just kind of, uh, uh. Like what? What are you ready for there? I'm just curious. Like, like, and and take it wherever you want. I'm not trying to lead you any particular place, but I'm very curious about just this kind of thing of like what the relationship between identity and then that evolution into the next version of ourselves. Well, I'm not going to. Um pretend that imposter syndrome hasn't haunted me for most of my life because it has. Um, that's something that I just have to fight through and understand that everybody or most people deal with that to a certain level. Uh, when, when I made the commitment to go or made the decision to go out on my own, it was really scary, Erin. You know, that's not necessarily my personality type. But at that point in my life, I had to look at what was going on and I had enough people who thought I brought value to their teams and their organizations and wanted to pay me to come in and train them and to speak at events and, and different things like that, that it no longer made financial sense for me to hold down a 40 hour a week job. And it was, it was not an easy decision for me because like you said, there's a lot of safety being a school teacher, right? So you have retirement, you have benefits the same way with, with corporate America. We have, there's a security net there that if, you don't continue doing work with one client or another. Hey, you still have a job. You still have health benefits. You still have retirement. You, all of that safety net. So when I stepped out on my own, the sa safety net was pulled out from underneath me. There is no safety net anymore. So this means that every single day, like you think you have to work hard when you're working for corporate America. Well, let me tell you, when you work for yourself, you have to work even harder because every single day you have to prove your value to the companies that you work with so that they continue hiring you. And then, then you have to go out and sell more. And so I have, you know, people who help me with sales and you know, then you have to like, I had no idea how much work went into being an entrepreneur, uh, you mm -hmm. know, IT, all the systems, all the programs, accounting, bookkeeping. So having to, you know, social media, uh, mm -hmm. things like that, that you don't even think about that. I've had to hire people to take on different tasks for me where I never, that was never in my wheelhouse before, right? So I never mm -hmm. had to think about hiring a bookkeeper or an IT person. I and mean, it was just always just provided for me. So that transition or that mindset, that identity you're talking about, uh, 
it was scary. I, I, I was scared. So it was a big risk for me. It was outside of my comfort zone. And uh, one thing I will tell you, though, is that several years ago, I did some major work on myself, some growth. And this is when I learned about personalities. I know we're going to be talking about like personality types and styles, but uh, I did a lot of research on emotional intelligence and personality assessments and uh, a lot of these things, goal setting and, and, and all of that. And it really helped give me the confidence that, you know what, I am good enough. I told you I kind of struggled with imposter syndrome a lot, lot. But when I did all this work and did a lot of reading and, you know, the people who go out like Steve Jobs, right, um, Tony Robbins, all of those people who have gone out and made it for themselves, there are people just like you and I are, right? They just took a, mm-hmm. a risk a lot earlier than we did. Excellent. So that self-work really forged, it, it, you kind of took yourself into the forge and worked on yourself to really develop yourself and to almost selling yourself, convincing yourself that, hey, no, I am this person that can do this type of work. Is that, am I aligned on that? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I had to, I had to sell myself before I could sell anybody else. That's for sure. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah, you, you teased up the personality types and I think a lot, so many people love these, you know, I've done, I've had, oh my goodness, I've done so much work in different ways of just uh, assessments and uh, Leadership Longview. I'm wearing the shirt right now for the audio listeners, but uh, Leadership Longview has a great strengths assessment uh, thing uh, that we did, uh, which was really illuminating to me. And uh, they're so powerful, great tools. And so what's exciting about this um, conversation is that you have a tool of your own. And not only do you have a tool of your own, which is cool, uh, it scratches my writer nerd itch uh, and my love for acronyms uh, or acrostics, however you want to say it. Uh, so tell us about, tell me about the read personality type and how this came about. Yeah. So, you know, back in 1928, Dr. Martin Molson is the one who published the first work on personalities. And most of the personality assessments that are out there today are based off of his work. His work has just been continued to be researched and refined and uh, more studies have been done. More has been written about it. So if you look at things like the disc, uh, the core, Myers-Briggs, all of those different, you know, A-type personality, B-type personalities, all of those stemmed from that original research. Uh, what's his name? Sorry. Dr. Martin Molson. And okay. one of the really interesting, I'll, I'll send you his name if you want me to later, but one of the interesting things is he did not want his work copyrighted. He wanted it to be free use. And so even though some of these assessments have, you know, copyrights around their own branding, his original work was not. And so what we did was we took his original work, just like all of these other companies had, and we had a personality assessment created specifically for Opster called Read. And you're absolutely right. I'm the same way. I love acronyms. And the reason I really like the Read name is because it's read the person, read the situation, you know, read, uh, read the room. It's, it's, you're reading people, you're reading the conversations that you're in. And if you know those four letters and what they stand for, you can understand different people's personalities much more quickly and understand how to speak to them in their language, understand what drives them and what their needs are. And so even though there's four main, what we know is that everybody is a combination of all four. And most people have a primary and a secondary personality type. Love it. Okay. So you teased enough. What are the, what is the R-E-A-D? Please let us know. So the R is for a relator. And those are your people, people. Those are the people who, uh, don't like a lot of change, but they will spend a lot of time one-on-one with people. In fact, they will do things for others, even if it is a hardship for them personally. So they're the true people, people, the sweet, soft, tender-hearted people of the world. Uh, the E in read is for entertainer. And those are your charismatic, larger than lives. They're your party people. They're also people, people, but they like to be with a lot of people in their groups and they're extroverts. They're like from school, if you remember your class clowns, uh, great salespeople, uh, your musicians, your uh, actors, things like that. But they're truly the larger than life people of the world. 
Then you have your analyzers and your analyzers are the exact opposite of an entertainer. So if you think about an accountant or, uh, you know, CPA, engineers, um, computer programmers and analysts and, and all of those types of people, they're going to be your analyzers. They're the ones who truly live in the black and white and they don't believe there's any room for gray. They want results. They want to make the right decision. Uh, they want all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and everything has to be perfect. They have a tendency to keep people at an arm's distance and in that outer circle until they've gained their trust. And then you have the driver, which, you know, obviously my primary is a driver. And those are your really driven, goal-oriented, super focused, fast paced. You know, I don't care how it gets done, just get it done type of people. Excellent. What a great framework. Love it. I, you know, I could always make, a, you know, guesses as to which one I line up in, but I'd love to take the test. Oh, absolutely, you can. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, awesome. Hey, this is great. <laughs> uh, maybe I could get it done before the uh, newsletter comes out too. That'd be fun. But uh, okay, so how do you apply? I'm just real curious, and then we'll get into the community stuff. But like, how do you how do you apply, read, and help other people with? You know, I guess how do you use this in your speaking and training? And what could people expect? I'm just curious on on like how they could apply it to their actual life. Yeah. So what we do is I have all of the people who are attending my trainings take the read personality assessment before the training. And then at the training event itself, I will give them the results. And we do an in-depth conversation, an in-depth discussion about the different personalities, um, about what... uh, like what their their preferred way of doing things, like when you know if you're an analyzer or an entertainer, you're going to have a preferred way of doing things that are your natural strengths. Um, we look at what our natural strengths are. We also look at some of those things that have been conditioned with us. And I'll, and I'll give you a perfect example. Um, one of the things I, I tell people is all four of the personality types are equally valuable. But here's what happened in my own life. And that is that I am a driver and it's funny because my parents say, we don't know where the heck she got that personality from because it's neither of theirs. And they're right. It's not. Uh, In fact, I would say my mother is the exact opposite on the relator side. And so a lot of times growing up, um, I think that she really wanted me to be more of that sweet little soft people person who was sweet and kind and tenderhearted. And, and my personality was the exact opposite from that. So I had a lot of confusion about who I was because I knew I was supposed to be nice and kind and sweet, which is a great lesson, right? For kids. But there was this part of me that just wanted to get things done and just go for it and do it and do it and do it that I had to rein in. So I could be this nice people person. And there was a lot of confusion in me. That was a conditioned personality trait. Well, when I learned about these personalities and I learned that, Hey, this is who I am for real. All of that confusion cleared up and I was able to step into my natural strengths and, and, and use it to my benefit, right? To leverage that as a strength mm-hmm. that I have and to develop it and to grow it. And so I teach people how to recognize what their natural strengths are, what some of their conditioning may have been. And you can be conditioned from your home. You can be conditioned from your community. You can be conditioned from your church, your, your uh, place of employment. And even the part of the world that you live in can all have a part in the play of conditioning who you are. And when you understand who you truly are and step into that and accept it, then you can truly thrive as a person. The other side of that is you also get to learn about the other personalities and how to pull from them in productive ways. So we have productive and destructive traits that are part of our personalities. And when we can identify the ones that are productive and identify the ones that aren't so productive and it can actually be destructive, then we're able to know how to respond more appropriately in different situations. And so we do this really in-depth look at each of the personalities, the good and bad and the ugly of them. And then they do a lot of activities around it. So then you asked me, how do uh, they implement it in, in different teams. Well, an example Mm -hmm. I'll give you in leadership, if you understand the personality preferences or the the preferences that your employees preferred way of doing things, then you can communicate with them 
more clear, clearly. You understand their currency. You understand what drives them and you understand what shuts them down. The same thing with, with business development or sales professionals. When you're speaking to potential customers and clients, it's such an advantage if you can be in a meeting with somebody for 30 seconds, identify their personality type and know exactly what you need to provide them to help them be more comfortable making a decision. And so one quick example, if I may, is if Mm -hmm. you are a salesperson and you're dealing with an analyzer type of personality, you want to be able to answer any and all questions they have. And you have to absolutely be absolutely be prepared for that. And one of the things I tell people in my trainings is you want to have all of your subject matter experts numbers in your back pocket and be able to pull them out at any time and have them on call to answer those questions. If not that, then you have to do a very thorough job of of following up and giving them all the information that you need. If you're taking in um, like a, a, a a booklet with all of your data and information in it, then you're going to want to provide that for them to go through. Uh, one of the funny things I say is that Excel and charts and graphs and things like that, those were created specifically for our analyzers. Now think about the exact opposite personality, which is an entertainer. Those details are going to bog an entertainer down and they're going to frustrate an entertainer and an entertainer might just shut down and, and, and not want to do business with you if you get too detail oriented with them. So being able to read that personality and know, okay, the analyzer, let's dig deep into the data with the entertainer. I'm going to give them a 30,000 foot overview, and then I'm going to provide them with that information that they can look through later, then you have a much better chance of winning new business from that one thing alone. Love it. Love it. Yeah. The, the analyzer is going to need Excel, whereas the entertainer might use Microsoft Paint. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And so another thing is when you walk into their office, if you walk into an office and you see, um, you know, pictures of your kids and kids drawings and little art things that they've made for you, you know, if you walk into someone's office and that's all over, you can probably identify that person as a relator. If you walk into someone's office and they have their diplomas and their certifications and everything is perfectly lined up on their desk and you move, you know, it's funny, I've done this before when I knew they were analyzers just to test my theory. And I would move one little thing on their desk just kind of during conversation. And a couple of minutes later, what you'll see them do in that conversation is reach over there and just kind of slightly move it back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Man, that's, that's so great. Why, um, I can. I hope the listener and uh, is is having the same breakthroughs that I am. It's just like it 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 calls to mind to me like how pivotal and important it is for anybody working together to do these type of things. The tools that we can have to give us greater insight into how we relate with other people, you know. So like if we're on a common cause, like that, I think that's why kind of speaking to leadership Longview again, it starts with that. And then, you know, we we start to get a, at least a snapshot. Maybe it's totally wrong. Who cares? And then, like, you know, that person could tell us, hey, this is not me at all. It says it's me, but it's not. At least then we have a greater insight into something. And it's like, so, so my question is, Amy, why is this not like standard in every business across America? Like, why don't why don't we do this? more often? That's a great question, Aaron. And and I don't know. All I can say <laughs> is I truly wish it was. I wish it was in every single organization and the organizations that do make this a priority and, and make it part of their culture and start speaking the language. You see huge shifts in company cultures and not just the company culture. Let me tell you something else. You see shifts in individuals and, and mm-hmm. their home relationships, their family relationships, their marriages, their legacies. Um, again, when I learned about this, many of my relationships were healed with family and friends uh, just by learning, oh, that's why she responds that way. Or another example would be with my son, I when he was growing up, I would tell him to unload the dishwasher and he has a different personality than I had. And 30 minutes later, I'd go in the kitchen and he hadn't unloaded it. And I'd be like, Nick, why haven't you unloaded the dishwasher? 
you know, and 30 minutes later, he still hasn't unloaded. And by this time, I'm pretty frustrated. I thought I asked you to unload the dishwasher, not once, but twice, and you still haven't done it. And so we had this thing going on that wasn't necessarily the most lovely, positive part of our relationship. Now we have a great relationship, but we had this struggle because we couldn't communicate. When I learned about personalities, I changed my approach where I would say, Hey, Nick, can you have the dishwasher unloaded by three o'clock? He'd say, sure, mom. And guess what? Sure enough, it was unloaded by three o'clock. And the reason I use that example is because Aaron, you just asked, why isn't this done in companies across you know, the board? Think about how much better we would be able to communicate with people just like I'm better able to communicate with my son now if we truly understand their communication preference. Mm, mm, yeah, it's like, uh, man, there's a will, there's a way. I guess we just got to figure out the, well, it's like it, it gives you greater leverage in terms of how to approach folks who want to, uh, or that, that you might like to do business with. It's like, okay, I'm dealing with an analyzer. I'm going to show them the data that backs this up. <laughs> you need this in your organization, you know? So, uh, excellent. Okay. Um, my, my favorite question, uh, of the podcast, because this is the one constant in every episode is what I call the village question. And I want to ask it to you. Um, it goes like this. And it has to do with community. Uh, I think we're getting we're we're definitely in that realm now of like how people connect with others. Uh, one thing that I believe is, or let me just frame up the question for you. So, the village question goes like this: Imagine, Amy, that you are given a plot of land, um, some acreage, and they're saying, "Amy, we love everything that you do, and we trust you to build a village on this plot of land." Uh, there's two roads going east and west, north and south, and uh, we can give you four signs that connect from other places that will help you gather your community into this village. So, Amy, what word or phrase or motto or what have you are you going to put on those four billboards um, that will attract people to your village. And one thing that I like to do, I've kind of broadened it out, but what values specifically, Amy, would you put on those four billboards to gather your community? Sure. Well, you know, kind of my tagline is inspire, equip, and empower. So that might be part of it. But if you're talking about the core values, I do have some some things that would be considered my core values. And obviously, I've made them a part of my company's core values. And the first one is to act with integrity. You know, I believe that as people with integrity, we commit to doing the right thing, no matter who's watching, right? And even when people aren't watching. And so, one of the most important things to me is is having being a person of integrity because that way I know that I always have my clients' best interest in mind. I would have this village, their interest in mind, and then everyone inside of that village would also act with integrity and treat each other with that kindness and respect. So, you know, valuing relationships, working to build trust with each other, integrity is is number one. The second thing for me is uh, leading with passion. So I absolutely love what I do, love why I do it, and love the people who I am privileged to serve. Um, and so I would want a village of passionate people who are motivated to learn and to grow and to help others learn and grow and achieve their goals. Um, but passion is is very important to me. I believe oftentimes People will come to me and say, what should I do in this situation or what should I do in that situation? And as long as what we're doing, our goals and our actions are aligned with what we're truly passionate about and also aligned with our unique skills, talents and abilities, then you're going to be successful if you keep moving forward. Mm. And then finally, I think the last thing would be excellence, um, you know, a commitment to excellence or inspiring excellence. So, you know, excellence is, is an ex- uh, is um is a commitment to do 
more and to be better every single day. And one of the things that I have for my company, we have, you know, these little 1% better everyday tokens, magnets, t-shirts, you know, all that good stuff that we give people. And it's a reminder that you can, that they have committed to being 1% better every single day. So inspire this excellence, strive to achieve excellence in every aspect of our lives and in our business and in our relationships. And then, you know, commit to doing whatever it takes to exceed each other's expectations. So those would probably be what I would put on the signs within my village. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Um, all right. I, I like what you said about excellence. So I kind of want to zone in on that um, because, and I think excellence and passion, I mean, they're all kind of interconnected, right? But um, this excellence thing, I'm, I'm, I think, I think I'm a driver. I'm just going to use your language here. I think I'm a driver. I think my, I, I created an acrostic of values and the, those values spell out drive. So I think I'm a, <laughs> I might be a driver. So, um, where does okay i'm curious though on what your take is on excellence in terms of those that don't pursue it um not to say that i'm better than anyone because like you i agree with you i'm just a small town kid from edgewood texas you know what i mean i'm grateful to be alive to be american to be texan to boot oh my god that's like a that's a three-prong i mean good thing and so I'm grateful and I understand not everybody's the same. I'm just kind of weird. I feel like, you know, I'm just wired for excellence. Like, uh, you know, once I figured out that, hey, I can I can do more, it like gave me the confidence to get that momentum and ball rolling. And so that's why I think I am fueled to be like, look, if I can do it, you can do it. Like anybody can do it, you know? And so I just believe in another individual's potential. And so... I'm always trying to figure out, okay, what is that thing that's keeping someone else from their own personal excellence? So my, my question to you is, what is that thing? Cause I'd really, <laughs> I'd really like to know what are those, like from your, you know, experience, what have you learned from training, teaching others that is that roadblock for people and how can we help more people take take down those barriers if i had to boil it down to one word aaron it would be fear fear okay. uh fear of failure fear, fear of success uh, being uncomfortable fear of the unknown not knowing what they don't know uh, you know a lot of people have had hard lives and so they feel safe in a comfortable little life where they don't have to step outside of their comfort zone and they don't have to worry about getting hurt they don't have to worry about failing. Um, I, I know a lot of people like that who who don't have the same drive that we have. And it's for a number of different reasons. But what I see oftentimes is they just don't believe in themselves or they're scared. They're, they're too scared to dream. 14% uh, mm. of the people in the United States report being happy. And if you look back to fourth graders, 66% of fourth grade young men and 73, I believe, percent of fourth grade young ladies report being happy. And that's the highest percentage of happiness reported across the board at any age group. And so if you think about young people, you know, and it's, and, and it's easy as an adult, I hear all the time, well, they don't pay bills and they don't have this to worry about that. To worry about. Yeah, you're right. They don't. But life hasn't happened yet, number one. And number two, nobody has told them they couldn't do it yet for the most part, right? So nobody has squished their dreams yet and they're not afraid of failing. You think about a little kid, you give them an Amazon box, what do they do? They're going to pretend like they're a sea captain, like captain of a, of a ship, right? Or maybe a NASCAR driver or heck, I don't know. Their imaginations are going to go wild. Maybe they're in a castle and fighting off dragons, but they have these really vivid, big, huge, bright imaginations. And then at some point in life, whether it be teachers, parents, friends, whomever, somebody comes and squishes those goals for them. And so they just stop dreaming and they refuse to step out of their comfort zone because they feel like it's a really, really safe little place for them. And Aaron, I believe you and I both believe that that's just not the case. 
Um, the comfort zone is absolutely the most uncomfortable place you could settle. Mm, that's so powerful. Those are powerful stats too. To vi- and what a great visual point to think about of like, oh, what, what grade did you say? Fourth grade. Fourth grade. Okay. Now I'm imagining myself in fourth grade. And I remember a slightly overweight kid who had a penchant, a love, a collection of Hawaiian shirts. And you know what I mean? Like every day I had a different one for every single day of the week. And I remember I didn't care because I thought they were cool and they were, you know, kind of just an expression of my own identity. And then I can think about what happened to those Hawaiian shirts. They started to go into a different closet. You know what I mean? Because, uh, well, that's not the cool thing. That's not what the cool kids are wearing. That's not the Hollister Abercrombie, like, you know, the judgment, the fear, all these things started to dissipate and started to influence who I was trying to naturally express myself to be, whatever that was, Uh, you know, Hawaiian shirts are cool. But I think that is a powerful way of just understanding kind of our relationship to ourselves and how we start to let the world constrict the creative person that we are at our core. One thing that gets me is when people say, I'm not creative. I wish I was creative. Everybody's creative. Everybody. It doesn't mean that everybody is an artist. I can't paint for nothing. You know, I'm not a good drawer. I can't even, you know, drawer. Is that a word? I don't know. It's like, you know, like, uh, I I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's like you to be a creative doesn't mean that you're an artist. It means that you are actively participating in life itself and making something happen. I think that, you know, that is kind of the core of excellence. That's the start of excellence saying that, well, I'm just going to make today. I'm just going to make something. Like my wife is a creator in so many different ways. She beautifies the house. She makes soap. She grows plants. She does all these beautiful things. You know what I mean? And like, you know, I, I think it's our relationship to understanding how um, it's it comes down to like self-love in a, in a lot of ways, like I, I think. And, and then it makes me think of how powerful our influences are, the people that the company that we keep in our brains, in our phones, the less that I spend um, consuming TV podcasts as 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 much as i've learned from podcasts you know uh shows other people's stories (laughs) you know the less that i do that not to say that i don't like to listen or anything like that i'm a podcast like i love having i love people but like the the more influences i let in i realize the more trapped in fear i get and then I get stuck and then I get into this, you know, I start swirling the toilet bowl of life and going, woe is me, where's my life going? And so, I don't know, I just, a little bit of rant there, uh, but I just, I hope, I, like you inspired me to kind of speak about that because I totally agree with you. Fear, judgment, ego, those are the enemies that we always have to strike down. Those are the dragons I'm committed to striking down in my own life. And if we're not aware of them, we'll never get to where we want to go. You're right. You're absolutely right. And and I will speak to something you just said, and that is I call it the input. So we have to be very intentional about the input, what we watch, what we listen to, uh-huh. what we read, the conversations we have. And I'm much like you, and I don't watch TV. I There's one show on TV that I like to watch, and it's not in season, but once a year. Uh, and that's the only TV I watch. I'm very, so I listen to podcasts like yours and others, leadership podcasts, uh, watch or listen to a lot of um, audio books and, and people talk. So other in- inspirational leaders and things like that. But I'll be walking around with earbuds in my ears when I'm walking around the house, cooking, cleaning, you know, weeding the garden or whatever with my phone in my pocket, my earbuds in listening to an audio book, but it's, I'm very intentional about what I listen to. And what's really, truly interesting is that when I was in middle school, I was asked to speak to an FSA high school group in middle school. And oh, wow. that very topic is the topic I spoke to them about, about being careful about the music that they listen to. 
the first public speech I ever gave was about being intentional about music that we listen to. And I still believe it today. That's like the cutest, most charming thing. And also very, you know, it's still very true. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um, man, this is such a great conversation. I knew it would be. Um, I, I do. I will say. Um, I, and, and I think this is a, this is fun. Let's, let's like make it a little bit more fun too. Uh, not that this is not fun. I'm having a great time, but let's I, like get to the hue. I want to humanize a little bit because like me, I do like an hour of, uh, some crap TV. Sometimes I do like listen to a podcast that has nothing to do what I do professionally. And I'm really committed to every day. Like there's some times where I want to scratch that itch of a vice, but I'm always aware of going, Oh God. Okay. Not too much. Got to have a little balance, but sometimes I, it, it allows me to kind of turn off and say, Aaron, it's okay. It, it gives my, give myself permission. So I'm just curious, Amy, what's your relationship with that in that realm of like, what are those maybe vices or those things that you do that, uh, give you permission to unwind or are you just totally like dialed in 100% all the time? Well, I went to see a movie with my son for the first time since pre pandemic and we went and saw top gun. So, okay, that's fun. Maybe. <laughs> Um, Yellowstone, that's the show. I'll just throw it out there. It's a horrible show, but it's so much fun to watch. That is definitely a vice, uh, because of the language and things like that. And, but I love the show. Uh, so, so what happens with me is most of the time I am the person listening to the podcasts and the audiobooks and things like that. But if I had up on the way home from a training or speaking event, I, I will be uh, emotionally and mentally exhausted and spent. Mm-hmm. And that is probably some of the only times you will see me listening to like music in my car and I will listen to the radio or YouTube music or something like that. And then on the weekends, my husband and I, we are outdoors people. I live in the middle of East Texas. We live on a bunch of land in the middle of the woods and we take our music out there and he's a big country music fan. So, and I like country music too. So we'll sit around the fire pit or whatever and, and maybe have a glass of wine or something, and he has a beer, and listen to music. So I don't have to be (laughs) learning all the time. I do allow myself some downtime. But as far as watching TV and stuff like that, I just, I don't have any desire to do it. I feel like there's better things to do with my time. That's just me, though. Yeah. Who I am. No, I I totally agree. I totally agree. I think my wife and I, we we watch less and less TV because we realize that it's just less and less. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing with our time here? And uh, but I have noticed that, like, uh, I used to listen to music a lot. And I have noticed that, you know, especially because, you know, I used to do 90 percent music, 20, 10 percent podcast. And then over time, it's like flip flopped. And I've, I've realized that um, what does help me, I've, I've lost the connection to how powerful music can be as a meditative experience, helps your brain kind of, I don't know, it helps my brain kind of rearrange some of the furniture that's in there for uh, that, that I learn, you know what I mean? Like even because I listen to a lot of instrumental music, I think, contemplative type music. And so I'll, it, it'll, it serves me well to kind of, have that input when I'm trying to, you know, uh, think about things or what have you. But I've also had, um, a lot of benefits from like meditation. Do you meditate at all? I'm just curious. Yeah. It's, it's, it's powerful practice that, uh, it's taken me a long time to like get into, but, and I'm not like 10 minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm not even 10 minutes. Some people are like, Oh, an hour a day or whatever. It's kudos i'm like five minutes four minutes and even that i'm like oh i i kind of it allows me that i don't know it, it gives my brain a little bit of pause but anyway tangents aside we're running short on time i've got to get uh it, it's good to get to know you though in that way um company the company that we keep that's what this is all about right see we, we progress um I'm curious to know some quick thoughts, I guess. We only have about 10 minutes. Uh, I want to be courteous of your time and your weekend. Um, The next generation leader. I wanted to get your insight on this because as 
Um, I mean, there's not a better, a more prescient time than now. And I, I, I feel like I'm echoing uh, the, the wisdom of ancients and when I say that, but uh, no pressure, more present time than now that we need strong leadership, strong voices, not only from the national level, but I think most importantly, from the local level, from the people that we just shake hands with, smile at when we're doing our thing in tiny town USA, wherever it is, or, you know, it, it scales out from there. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on what does the next generation of leadership look like? And if you're a leader today, what are some things that we need to get rid of from the old guard and put on? What's that, num- what's that number one stop and that number one start for a leader today uh, for this next generation of leader? Well, what we know is that when you're talking about um, leaders, the higher up you go in an organization or community, the less technical skills you'll use and the more social skills you'll need to use. Uh, You know, leadership circles and thought leaders have talked about emotional intelligence a lot over the past decade. Unfortunately, a lot of people still don't know anything about emotional intelligence. Uh, they don't know what it means, managing their emotions and and building those strong connections with other people and understanding that there is a person on the other side of that computer screen or the other side of that desk or the other side of that phone. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of keyboard warriors out there today talking to the abyss, not understanding how they are harming a true living person who has emotions and feelings. Okay. So that's a tragedy. Um, I would say that the leaders of today and tomorrow absolutely have to have a very strong emotional intelligence, a high emotional intelligence. And more than that, even now, especially, you know, as a world, as a global community, we have just experienced a pandemic, right, of epic proportions. And so adaptability and resilience is bubbling up to the top and is overtaking the importance of emotional intelligence. Now, we still believe emotional intelligence is top priority, but now the adaptability quotient or the ability to adapt and, again, be resilient is proven itself to be even more important. And so I would say that the two things our leaders need to do moving forward is to make sure they're constantly growing and learning and growing their emotional intelligence and learning ways to be adaptable and to adapt and to be proactive to things that happen. Mm. Um, What do they need to stop doing? They need to stop doing what the old guard told them to do. Okay. The micromanaging, hard-handed, treat everybody as a number. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work with this new generation. And and, And Aaron, it should have never worked. It should have never worked, but it definitely does not work anymore. Um, being vulnerable, being transparent, being able to be your true self. Um, Now, that being said, I believe there's an awful lot of attention being placed on mental health to the point to where I believe some young people think it's cool to have mental health issues. I believe that we absolutely need to be understanding of everyone's mental health, but I sure wish this world would quit making it look cool, right? And at some point we have to just stand up and pull up our bootstraps if there's not a true chemical thing going on in our brain, right? If, if we're just having a bad day, we have to be able to stand up and go to work anyway. We have to be able to stand up and take care of our families anyway. And so as the world is coddling mental health and making it popular or cool, like your, you know, your Hawaiian shirts that you talked about, right? The world is literally saying that having... Having mental health issues is cool today, but it's not, you know, those people need help and it's not cool to be sick. So if we can help people understand and distinguish between the difference between a true mental illness and just a bad day, that would be fantastic. Mm. You said 
boy, oh my goodness, absolutely. I I I agree. I actually had this. Uh, I I brought this topic up to another person just a few episodes ago um, about uh, mental health and the relationship to personal responsibility um, because I I pick up on that trend as well, um, and I think it does connect back to identity too of just like. The trap that we can fall into of no, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves that keep us small instead of uh, the approach of I'm more than a conqueror. Um, you know, we can put ourselves into a, a box because unfortunately we're not getting the right support that we need in terms of like uh too many people, I'll, I'll put it this way, too many people get their medical advice from TikTok and social media and 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 poo-poo the things that, you know, are abundant on social media, like information that I tried to put out there like like this, you know what I mean? Uh, like, they'll, they'll be quick to say no to uh, uh, personal responsibility and a personality test that could help you or uh, striving for excellence and then they'll 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 say well my horoscope says i got a problem or whatever you know and so there is that healthy balance and i appreciate you having that um i i appreciate that because i think the more conversation that we can have about like what is the balance between uh those two uh it, it is really good because i think also that one of the best things for mental like personal development is mental health hygiene you know like like as bad of a rap as it gets sometimes of like you know whatever i don't know people have a problem with it for whatever reason um it 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 really does do a lot when you start learning about these type of things of like how can i become better that one percent like you talked about how can i take full responsibility for my own health and happiness and success and treat it as if it is a life or death scenario because it is, you know, like you can, uh, you don't have to die today to live like it. You know what I mean? Like, like we're all going to die, but I, I don't want to feel it until <laughs> that day. You know what I mean? All right. So, uh, Amy, uh, I'm going to run that back. I'm going to listen to this episode again because I'm so, uh, thankful and grateful to have you, uh, on this, uh, to have this conversation. I hope, uh, so many others, uh, feel the same way and share it with, with some friends. Um, Amy, let's see here. I'm going to wrap this up in two, two and a half minutes here. Um, who or what fuels you? Uh, you, you know, you've done a lot of fueling to me, inspiring me. Who fuels you? My granddaughter. I have, um, so who inspires me, who fuels me to keep going is yeah. the next generation. It's the next generation and the next generation. It's, it's the people who, you know, my definition of success is very different today than it was 10 years, 15 years, 20 years ago. And my definition of success today is anything I can do to make this world a grander, a better place for my kids than it was for me. And then for their kids than it was for them. That's what fuels my passion. And right now, that is in the form of an almost two-year-old little girl named Rainy, who's my granddaughter. Oh, it's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, heroes have strength for two. And I think you are definitely heroic, Amy. Um, so, what? Uh, I guess I, I, to close, any closing thoughts that you have after this conversation and... Uh, if somebody wants to work with you, Amy, who's who's the person you'd love to work with most and how how best can they reach out to you? Yeah. So um, if people want to work with me, you know, my Alpstra website is ALPSTRA.com. Um, also find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all those good social media places. And my phone number's posted all over the place email addresses too but who do I want to work with I want to you know I like to work with people who want more out of life and people who aren't typically poured into 
So there's some occupations where there's a lot of emphasis and a lot of resources put into training and development, learning and development. A lot of the white collar jobs, if you will. Um, one of my absolute favorite things to do is there's a group of blue collar individuals that I work with, one of my clients. And the, the biggest aha moments and the biggest changes and the biggest culture shifts and the biggest growth that I ever see is with those people. So mm -hmm. um, I'm here to train leaders, business developers, all of that. I do speak at events like the, the Longview 40 Under 40 through the chamber, uh, Sherm groups, women's groups, um, churches and things like that. But probably my absolute favorite is that community that's not poured into that's powerful. I love that. I think we have a, a, a heart for the same type of folks because there's, you know, I, I come from sales background. There's a lot of sales development, training, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's what kind of planted those seeds. But there's so many other industries and stuff that uh, need this type of information, need strong leadership uh, like you uh, provide and train others for. And so uh, kudos, props. So thankful to have uh, known you or to, to know you and to, to know that you're not only doing it, but you're empowering others to do the same. And that's that's an awesome thing. That's why you've got the strong calm to me. So um, definitely connect with Amy online, com. And Amy, thank you so much. This has been fun. Absolutely. <laughs>